You are listening to a conservative review production. Trust, but verify. You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. It's August 11th, Friday. Thank God we're almost done with this week. What a what a long week, I'm telling you, even, even in an August summer. I just wanted to continue from our earlier recording this week where we were discussing how to get beyond this false choice, these terrible times in politics where conservatives just feel like they have no voice. And you know, we, we mentioned the fact that our voice really is rooted in the states. Ultimately, we got to get the power back to the states and we got to elect good people to the states. And that's where we're going to have to make our stand, irrespective of the outcome of this election. Um, You know, certainly with Hillary, we'll be fighting both the judiciary and the executive branch with with a Trump. Well, maybe we'll be fighting the executive branch, too, but certainly the judiciary. And we got to have rock stars. And, you know, it's really I know uh, we got so much good feedback last time when we had Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest on from North Carolina. North Carolina is ground zero for the war between constitutional governance, federalism, where states actually govern themselves on all but the enumerated powers versus, you know, this overarching federal government where not only do you have the elected branches of the federal government starting up with the states, you have the unelected branches. Um, so North Carolina is the one state where they've actually done good stuff and every last thing is being taken to court now and they're standing alone and we need to stand with them. So with no further ado, it's my honor to bring in Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest. Hey, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Damn, I'm doing great. I hope you are. Uh, yeah, keep your head up, man. You know, uh, there's always tomorrow and we're going to continue to keep fighting. And I think that you know, with all the craziness that's going on out there, there are finally some things going on in this country after all these years that I think are starting to wake up the American people. Well, hey, talk about a wake-up call. I just want to shock the consciousness, and I know there's a lot here, and hopefully we'll get to at least some of it, and let me know if I'm missing anything. So you have a state that is trying to do its most basic functions, and in comes the federal judiciary, and in no specific order, the Fourth Circuit has already thrown out North Carolina's voter ID law. They've mandated early voting and all sorts of voting anomalies that the Democrats support. They forced transgenderism into the schools, at least within the same circuit jurisdiction, Virginia. Um, now the ACLU is taking the state to court over HB2. That's the, you know, obviously gender integrity, keeping, uh, you know, men in men's private rooms, women in, in, in women rooms. Um, and then, you know, the law protecting religious liberty that the state passed to protect magistrates who just want to take their names off of, you know, gay marriage licenses that's being taken to court. And then we didn't even get to the fact that all your districts, every district you created federal districts, local districts are being thrown out by the courts. Lieutenant governor, does a state have no power to govern anymore? Well, I mean, I think the power is still there if it's going to be used. You know, I mean, uh, you know, um, 
uh, when uh, the founders were crafting uh, this document uh, based on rule of law and trying to create a republic and uh, you know Ben Franklin walks out and lady says you know what form of government do we have and he says republic a republic if you can keep it well it's still a republic but are we going to choose to fight to to keep it. And that's really the choice that's out there right now. And I, I think you've done this so well. You have kind of laid out this argument again and again and again. I mean, here we are, we're, we're fighting for states' powers, but really the, the challenge is, is Congress going to step up and fight for the states? Or are they going to say, no, we really want to be the uh, ruling power here and we're okay with the judiciary making all these decisions for not just the states, as you've mentioned before uh, on your show, but local governments. You know, we have the the uh, federal government coming into local jurisdictions in North Carolina now and uh, saying that your uh, school board districts, your county commissioner district, that these things are unconstitutional. And it's absolutely unbelievable the things that they think that they have authority over because they apparently never read the Constitution before. So this battle is going to continue for a long time, but it's absolutely ludicrous. And you can take these things one by one, Daniels. I know you've already done, but voter ID law, you know, the, the Supreme Court's already held, upheld voter ID. So... Well, let me back up. Let me, let me, let's place it all in context. I think that's important here. Let's place this in context. Yeah, because, Why is you guys all this are being happening? called racist. So every, every yeah, law yeah. you pass is racist. Yeah. Well, let's place everything in context. Why is this happening in North Carolina right now? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, 250 years ago, North Carolina was the tip of the spear then to even get the Constitution signed into law. You know, without North Carolina signing on to uh, say we wanted first – we're not going to sign on until we have a Bill of Rights, but then signing on to that Bill of Rights, perhaps we wouldn't have the same Constitution we have today in the same country. So uh, North Carolina was the tip of the spear then, and we are again now. Put it all in context of we have an election on November 8th. And everything comes through North Carolina. Obviously, the presidency does. Everybody knows that, that uh, we're going to have a tough time uh, winning the presidency. Trump is without winning North Carolina. Uh, and then we have the number one governor's race in the country, the number one lieutenant governor's race in the country, the number one attorney general's race in the country. And certainly the left wants North Carolina back. They had it for 140 years, and they believe it's a gateway into, into the South uh, to take over the South. And so there is so much from the standpoint of power and money uh, for the left that rides on North Carolina, that they are willing to lie, cheat, and steal to try to win this state. And so they've known now for years that they you know, our states are all turning red. They know they can't win by rule of law. So they have to uh, basically uh, you know, break the law in order to try to get their way, and that's what they're doing now through the courts. No, exactly. And you, you had a couple of great points there. I, I just wanted some of the listeners to know the history of North Carolina. They were reluctant. They did not want to join the union. They were scared that it would crush the states. And and it wasn't re- they originally rejected it. It wasn't until I believe George Washington was already uh, you know functioning as president. They met in Fayetteville again. Uh, finally, you know, James Ardell, the great and, you know, talk about the judiciary. This is one of the original members of the Supreme Court. He helped craft Article three. He stood before the convention and he promised them the states wouldn't be crushed. He promised the president wouldn't have lawmaking authority. And he actually got up there. It was funny. He said that, well, you know, what do you think representatives are in Congress? I mean, are they not North Carolinians? Well, I guess we can leave that unanswered. Where are the federal representatives? But the point is. It's bad enough if you 
they were worried that the elected branch would would mess them over. But you have the the unelected branch. You know, I wrote a book, Stolen Sovereignty. It's it's available on Amazon. And it's about this social transformation without representation with the federal courts are now the sole and final arbiter of over of every social and political issue, thereby rendering elections moot. And then not only are they rendering the outcome of elections moot, my concern and this is why I wrote the book and the need to strip them of their authority that they don't really have is because we won't be able to win elections in critical states anymore because they are now messing with the districts and the you know, methods and procedures that states have plenary power over. And, you know, can you just you know, let's just take two, two cases, let's take the districts and the voter ID law. I'm trying to yeah. figure out how, you know, a to begin with um, local districts, <laughs> they don't have power uh-huh. over. It's only Congress that could jump in. And even then, Hamilton warned it would only be once in a while to jump into federal districts. But but school board county, Wake County school board <laughs> districts, A, had they have the authority. Um, and then B, I want to touch on one other thing. So in addition, in the in the case where they threw out the voter ID law, the Fourth Circuit, they also mandated an extra week of early voting and allowing 16 year olds to pre-register to vote. So these are mess methods and procedures that did not exist in most states until last decade. They in themselves are manifestly against at least the spirit of the Constitution of having a, an election day. It's bad enough for someone to advocate that on a um, you know, policy level, but to have the courts enshrine that into the 14th Amendment mandates early yeah. voting. What is going on here? Well, again, uh, yeah, place it in context. It's election year, right? So a lot of this stuff, and yes, I mean, we, you know, the, the constitu- they, they say it's constitutional. Uh, the districts are unconstitutional. Uh, they say that the voting law is unconstitutional based on how many days people can vote. The Constitution says a day will be set aside for voting. I mean, if they're really reading the Constitution, they come back and say, well, you can only have one day for <laughs> your elections, but uh, they don't do that. The Constitution is unconstitutional. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we look at the districts. Let's start with the congressional districts. So they came back. They mandated when in 2010, when we were uh, drawing districts, they said, here's what you have to do based on all previous court cases. Here's how you have to draw the districts. We did that. And those districts were had, had been approved and we did it by their rules. And then they come back right before uh, we have an election. It was actually after we had a primary uh, election anyway in the state of North Carolina. They came back and redrew them. And so we had to go back through that whole process. Right. This was after people uh, already just so people know, after they already voted in some absentee ballots and after candidates spent millions of dollars in volunteer hours working those districts. That's right. And they during the middle of an election, right before the actual vote was going to happen, just a few weeks before they changed, made us redraw the districts. And they came up with new rules, and we did that based on their rules again. And now they're coming back and saying again that those districts are unconstitutional. Really, the intent here is to throw confusion into the process. If you look past the election here on November 8th, what is their goal? Uh, I still believe we win, regardless of all this mess that they do. But they insert enough confusion into the process so that the electorate looks at it and goes, I can't trust the process. So one side or the other then gets to sit there and claim the system mm-hmm. was rigged. 
rigged. It was unconstitutional. Uh, you stole the election from us. And it creates, it's the beginning process of creating anarchy in this country. And it's, it's really unfortunate because tyranny is starting to rule here. And you're starting to see these little pockets of tyranny starting to rule like in, in the courts. And uh, so, you know, when you give when you give all that power, all that power to one branch or one person or anything else, that's pretty much the definition of tyranny. And now we're seeing that in the federal courts and we're seeing that with the president right now. And so they're they're creating a system that is going to create anarchy in our in our country, because what are they going to do? What is our choice as a state when the federal government comes in and oversteps its bounds? At some point, we're going to have to say no. You don't have to the authority to do that. Yes. And then if that local jurisdiction says, no, we want to abide by what the federal court says and the state says they don't have the jurisdiction, so you can't do that. Then what does it do? It creates this rift in your own state. Right. And, and somebody's got to come in and fix that. And, and that that's the thing, you know, the founders and this is the language of the declaration. I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Um, people will tolerate um, they'll suffer while the evils are sufferable. And, and, and yeah. it's a slow and I think we've I, there's a desire for finality, uniformity. And that's why I think a lot of people have allowed the courts to become the sole arbiter of this whole judicial review business. And it was never designed to be that way. But it's come to the point where I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Didn't the Fourth Circuit literally say that any method or procedure of holding an election that Democrats could show will boost African-American turnout? You have to adopt it. So, so yeah. if, they, if they were to say, you know, the polls close at eight. But, you know, if we could show that it would you know, bring in more black voters, if you had the polls open until 11, you got to do it. I mean, isn't that yeah, what they're I saying? Mean, yeah, I mean, in that sense, that's what they're saying. And obviously that's what they're doing. I mean, they're trying to rule in that regard. I think that, uh, you know, we still have a little power left at the local levels. Our local boards are are helping to uh, boards of election are helping to determine what sites are open and when they're open and all that kind of stuff, which really helps with the simplicity of the process. But it's all just about confusion, Daniel, and any kind of doubt that they can put in people's minds. Uh, that's what they're trying to do. The, fed, the federal government has no authority over our election laws in our state. They have zero authority. None. And uh, and so, you know, the people, I think, generally trust the judges, right? These people in black oh. robes. Who is the Fourth Circuit Court? The Fourth Circuit Court is some lawyers that Obama selected, put black robes on them, and told them to go defy the rule of law in places like North Carolina. And these guys sit in Virginia. They're not even North Carolinians. So you can have millions of North Carolinians voting for uh, marriage. You can have millions of them voting for voter ID. You can have millions of them, whatever the issue is. And regardless of what that issue is, two Obama-appointed attorneys that happen to wear black judges now for the federal court, or black robes for the federal court, get to make all the decisions for the entire state. Yeah, and, and I, so I, I want to cut in there, unbiased, with, but, with, um, Dan. Yeah. There's something, you just remind me, I don't want to forget this. They're unelected. See, in, in the case of Wake County, the school board districts that were thrown out, and, and I believe in some of the other ca- cases, and, and, and you know, let me know what other cases. It, you see, people have the right to bring a grievance to court, but it went to state court. And the state Supreme Court is indeed elected. And if people know that it will hinge upon this and they'll get to determine these things, then it makes the election a big deal. And indeed, you do have a pretty big state Supreme Court election there in North Carolina. But to vest the federal government, the, the 
the federal judiciary, the reason why the founders didn't give them the power in the words of Hamilton, neither force nor will over publicly public policy issues. He never imagined uh, redefining <laughs> marriage and sexuality and, and mandating mm-hmm. early voting. But I mean, he meant even legitimate public policy issues. Because precisely because they are not elected. This is not the system of governance we adopted. This is worse than King George. And one other point that I think, you know, because we've done a whole series here on judicial tyranny, the role of the judiciary. And I want to use one of your cases, a case study. You guys have a law there um, that you know protects people like Kim Davis, where if you have a magistrate, mm-hmm. a county clerk that you know says, look, you know, I, I, I've been serving here since before gay marriage was even invented. Um, so I just, you know, this is against my religious conscience. It's against our history and tradition. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to block it, although states really should have the right to do that. Um, but at, all it did is just say, look, we're just going to get someone else to put their name on. But yet it looks like the district judge is going to grant standing to a third party, the ACLU and these transgender type of organizations to say, I'm offended. Meaning there's no, uh, Courts were supposed to decide, you know, cases under the law passed by a legislature, state on a state level, federal on a federal level. But even to the extent that Marshall said they have judicial review, it just meant in order to grant relief to a particular plaintiff that was asserting a fundamental right, they were thrown in jail or fined as a result of a state or federal law. They got to take a look at the constitutionality of the law. And then, of course, the constitution they use is the one that was adopted. Now, we have this notion that any third party could just shoot directly at a statute and get it into court as the council of final revision to overrule a legislature. Oh, you know, and again, let's face it. Let's say you disagree with this. Now, nah, that offends my sensibilities. That's a political issue. No one's being yeah. thrown in jail. No one's being imprisoned. In fact, it's the county clerks that would be in prison, like we saw with Kim Davis. They're just yeah. saying, look, put someone else's name on it. No one's even being denied Anthony Kennedy's mandated, um, you know, so-called same-sex marriage licenses. All that's happening is a policy change. At, let me ask you this. And I know this is a tough question, but at what point does it get bad enough you know, where you just don't have you don't have an inch to move. And Hamilton wrote in Federalist 33 and he had the most expansive view of the federal government. But nonetheless, he, he spoke about the supremacy clause and the supremacy clause. A lot of you know the judges, of course, everything refers to the judges. <laughs> they, it's not. It's referring to Congress. But he said all <laughs> it meant was to affirm the enumerated powers. It didn't expand it. It just affirm the adoption of it. And he says, but it will not follow from this doctrine that acts of the larger society, meaning the federal government, which are not pursuant to the constitutional powers, but which are invasions of the residual authorities of the smaller societies, the states, will become the supreme law of the land. These will be mere acts of usurpation and will deserve to be treated as such. How far have we come, Daniel? How far have we come? And, and listen, it, it stems from uh, an education system that doesn't teach any of this. Now, go ask the average American. Go ask 99 out of 100 people on the street these questions, and they will not know the answer to these things because they haven't been taught those things. I mean, you could say it's an ignorance from a sense that there has been no education about them whatsoever. 
And so that's how you, you know, fundamentally transform America is you fundamentally transform your education system from K-12 through the university system. So nobody knows the history of their country. Uh, it's all spelled out. It's all right there before. You don't have to go very far to go look at it. And now you, you know, the, the shame of all of this, as you said, it's not just the overstepping of judges who are who are then striking down things we do, but they're creating law in our states. When the marriage amendment was struck down in North Carolina, I mean, you know, a state constitutional amendment is one of the toughest things you, you can do, uh, not just to push it through the legislature, but to get the people to vote on it, to get it into your constitution. We did that with an overwhelming majority of the 61%. citizens in North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, and that was hard. That was after $100 million gets thrown into the state against us, right, from human rights campaign and the likes. And so uh, even with that, they, they strike it down, and they didn't just say, this is unconstitutional, you can't do this. They said, now you must perform gay marriages in your state, and here's how you have to do it. And magistrates <laughs> must do these things, and if they don't, then they will be subject to the law. I mean, they are they're playing all three branches of government right there in one statement as they strike down something that was not only the Constitution, because we passed a constitutional amendment to the Constitution, the Constitution of the state. They struck it down and created a law. This is um, <laughs> pretty dangerous. This is pretty I'm dangerous thinking of stuff. all the issues we're talking about here. I, I can't think of one that even King George had the power to do. They they, they had yeah. the you know colonial legislatures. <laughs> I could just sure. be, they didn't get involved in that. You know, oh, you have to have early voting. The districts are like this, or you know, obviously redefine the building block of civilization, natural law, and everything. Um, but yeah. but the notion, um, you know, that they would come in there, it was taxation without representation. That's what they were they were dealing with. What you guys yeah. are dealing with is social transformation without representation. It is the unelected branch of government. Um, and, and, and why this is so important, folks, is because what are we trying to do with elections? What do we want to do on a federal level? It's exactly what North Carolina is doing. Look at the states. You want to, you know, clamp down on, you know, voter fraud. You want to go and clamp down on some of this dependency. You want to clamp down on illegal immigration. That's another big issue. The courts are granting rights to criminal aliens. They're overturning congressional statutes. And someone's got to stand up. Let me ask you this. Here's what I don't understand. And I, I mentioned this in, in, in my book. You know, Congress has the full plenary authority to regulate the appellate jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. But when it mm-hmm. but when it comes to the lower courts, my gosh, they could make them, they could break them, they could say you have to you have jurisdiction over one mile in Richmond City and you have to sit with dunce caps on your heads. They could say they could say whatever <laughs> they want. They literally it's not constitutionally uh-huh. mandated. How is it? I I'm trying to figure it out. You ha- how is it that you have a fourth circuit can one day say um, a picnic bench is a marriage, uh, a man to a woman, your districts, I don't like them. They don't have enough Democrats in them. And, you know, you have members of the, you know, the majority, overall majority members of, you know, Republican delegation, in North Carolina. And it, well, gee, I don't know. Maybe we just got to appoint better judges or hey, maybe got to amend the constitution. No, you, you could strip them in three seconds. You could get rid of them. So certainly you could define their jurisdiction. Is there any push, any pressure on the members to do something, to reassert control, um, to protect the state? We have another, what, six weeks until the end of the fiscal year. That's going to be the main item for the remainder of this term in Congress when they come back after Labor Day. Is there any effort? to go and stop the war in North Carolina, both, you know, either defund the DOJ war in HB2 so they can't file the lawsuit 
go after the courts, you know, a, a firm that states yeah. have authority over district redistricting. I, I where's the common I sense? I mean, obviously, we're you know, you're, you end up fighting the courts in the courts. I mean, that's like this, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy here, right? So, um, obviously, at the federal level, I, I've talked to you know members of Congress uh, from our state that I haven't heard anything that is working towards uh, you know giving smackdown to the Department of Justice or the president or anybody else for their overreaches related to HB two or or anything else and. Um, that's discouraging to me. I mean, it's very discouraging wow. to me. What, what and, has to um, happen? What has to happen is that the people have to stand up and they have to march in the streets and they have they're going to have to go to Washington and and march on Washington's uh, you know and and those kinds of things. What's going to have to happen is we're going to have to have a president that actually cares about rule of law and cares about the judiciary enough to appoint judges who care about the Constitution and will actually read it before they uh, claim that they're upholding it. And uh, I mean that's that's really, you know, you're talking about uh, you, you talk about, you know, these judges that are provide that, that this is societal transformation. This is fundamental government transformation as well. I mean, you know, again, our president claimed he was going to fundamentally transform America. Well, guess what? They are. He's sticking to his word and they're doing that. I mean, you're creating a uh, you're you, you've pretty much already in some ways created a government where we could say to the people in North Carolina, there is no need to have a state government. No. No, and, yeah, and everything that's you do gets turned down. You have no voice. You have no vote. You have no state government. Turn it all over to the feds. Exactly. Whatever benefit you want from electing people like Dan Forrest, people, Pat McCrory, some good legislatures. And I know you have a really, really good social conservative activist in the state, probably more than almost any other state. They, they, they've done such a good job of winning elections, but it's going to be meaningless if we don't handle this. And this is why at, at Either Congress has got to take back the power or the states at some point have to say no, because I'll tell you this and you guys are screwed in the Fourth Circuit. This will not change. Even if you have a Republican president, Mm -hmm. you game out the votes, you game out the age and demographics. I mean, you never know where the vacancies will occur. It will take 12, 16 years to win that circuit back. Um, That will, you know, and and all these cases, meanwhile, are going to come up in a year, too. I mean, it's it's you can't change it quickly enough. And nor should I mean, nor should we have to. They don't have this legitimate power. We're almost out of time. There's just one issue I want to want to bring up again. Um, You know, the left's big uh, their big weapon they have now is boycotts, you know, in the private sector. And this mm-hmm. is where you get to vote, not just in elections, you vote with your feet. And, you know, we always advertise for our our sponsor here, Patriot Mobile, uh, a cell phone provider. I just changed to them. I'm getting a new phone from them. These guys give money to to Planned Parenthood. They give money to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Patriot Mobile, folks. Up to up to five percent of your money will go to conservative organization of your choice. We got to fight back. We got to fight back, folks. I'm not. You know, I wish we didn't have to live in a society where everything was political. But you know, we 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 can't unilaterally disarm. Go to PatriotMobile.com. Change your cell phone carrier. I'm very happy with them. But I digress here. Um, You know what? What can people do? They see the NBA pulling out. I know the PGA. Is is are they still contemplating that? What what's the state of the boycotts and how are you guys well, doing? What could our listeners do to help North yeah. Carolina? Uh, well, listen, I mean, yeah, their, their voice matters and uh, phone calls 
matter and letters matter, but more than that, your pocketbook matters to these people. If just the conservative evangelical Christians out there in the uh, well, if just take Christians out, just take value voters, conservative value voters in America would stand up and make their voice heard, we would never uh, lose an election again. The left knows this, by the way, but they got to stand up and do something. You can't, uh, you can't not do anything. I think I look at like uh, the the Target issue, right? Target decided to make this uh, case and and change their bathroom policy, and they lost tens of billions of dollars by doing it because people said, I'm not shopping at Target anymore. That's Target's right uh, in America to do whatever they want to with their bathrooms. It's the right of any company in North Carolina to do that based on HB2 because we freed up private businesses to create their own bathroom policy, but they get to live with the consequences of doing that. And yep. consequently, nobody else has changed their bathroom policy <laughs> after watching what Target did. Uh, companies aren't leaving North Carolina. No company has left North Carolina. Certainly the NBA pulled out, but the NBA had the right and authority to do whatever they wanted to with the bathrooms in their arena. But their hypocrisy just really comes from the human rights campaign, the LGBT lobbyist organization, putting pressure on corporate sponsors, corporate America, putting pressure on the NBA. NBA is all about money anyway. So they said, you know, basically we have to pull out of here. And so, um, you know, so be it. We, we, don't put, we don't put a price tag on our women and, and children in North Carolina and say how much loss is enough to uh, risk the safety and security of a woman or a little girl in a shower or a locker room or anything else for a sexual predator. And so, um, you know, you hate it, never want to see a company leave or a business leave. But at the same time, we always have to stand up, stand on principle and stand up for what's right. So uh, there is not a, a mass exodus in North Carolina. It continues to grow. We continue to create jobs here. Our economy is booming in North Carolina. And I think it'll continue to be blessed if we stand up for what's right. No, absolutely. And, and and we appreciate your time. And look, you know, sign up for Patriot Mobile. That's a sponsor. But I'm, I'm making North Carolina another sponsor of the Conservative Conscience Conservative Review. Guys, it's a beautiful state. It's a summertime now from Cape Hatteras in the east to the Pisgah National Forest in the in, in, in the west, the most beautiful mountains in, in, you know, east of the Mississippi vacation there. We got to vote with our feet. We got to vote our conscience you know, this is actually a state Republican Party that's finally doing some good stuff we could be proud of. Um, you know, l- keep us updated as this comes, you know, comes through as the court cases come up and see what we can do to update us on your election and everything. We are going to get our people mobilized, not just on a federal level, but, you know, to start helping out in the states. Thanks so much for joining us again. Great. Thank you, Daniel, for having me on. Hope you have a great weekend. Absolutely. God bless. Take care. Well, there you have it, folks. There is one of the heroes. Now you know what I mean, what I've been saying so many times. I've been saying so many times the last couple of weeks, last couple of months. Not everything depends just on the top of the ballot. We still do have states. They are being crushed. But could you imagine if we just be like a bunch of fools the next couple of months and don't work down ballot, don't work on our issues, don't fight in the media, and we just spend time defending every crappy thing Trump says, the polls are rigged, uh, whatever, and then allow him to lose a massive landslide. And by the way, North Carolina is exactly the casualty we'll take. We will lose Dan Forrest, we will lose the, the majority there, and they will now conquer the one state that has fought on multiple fronts, possibly even more than Texas in some ways. So this is the deal. You know, I'd encourage everyone to to go and, uh, um, you know, g- donate to, to Lieutenant Governor Forrest's campaign. This is a guy that needs to run for, you know, higher office as well. Like I said, sign up for our, our newsletter. Sign up for Levin TV. 
Switch to Patriot Mobile. Think of more ways you could vote your conscience, both at the ballot and with your pocketbook. We're out of time. God bless. Thanks for listening. This is The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.